Welcome to episode 84 of The Route, presented by Jobs in Sports. The Route is a glorified sports business coffee chat that has a new guest every episode as they share their experiences and route in sports. I'm Chris Renesimento, and let's get started. As always, before we bring on the guest, just a couple things to cover um, beforehand. If you haven't already, um, subscribe to the podcast or follow, depending on the platform you're on. Um, you know, fortunately, we're, we're pretty evenly split on you know Google, Apple, Spotify, and I believe Anchor and some others. So if you haven't already, just subscribe, follow, rate five stars. I believe on Apple you can do that. This helps the podcast become more discoverable and you know reach more listeners. So you know maybe they can have an easier time getting to the world of sports. And then building on that as well, if you notice over here, it says at the route sports, you can check us out on all social media. So that's Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, et cetera. And considering the, the conversation we're having, having in the audience we have, LinkedIn's a great place to maybe start your network or even just, you know, see the conversations that are being had or what guests we were, uh, we're, we're chatting with. So check us out there at the route sports. You can see it up here, um, all one word. And um, yeah, that, that's about it. And with that said, we can now get to today's guest. So um, today's guest is a perfect example of a route showcasing how to climb the ladder in sports. So from starting with an internship at the Texas Legends to customer support at the Oklahoma City Dodgers, the OKC Thunder, Dallas Mavericks, San Francisco 49ers, Santa Cruz Warriors, and now the director of premium hospitality at the San Jose Sharks, Jonathan White. Welcome to the route. How's it going? Uh, doing well, Chris. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Thanks for joining me this morning. Um, yeah, the way I like to start every single podcast, pretty simple. With the name of the podcast, take us through your route. So um, where did it begin in regards to maybe school and how did we get here today? Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, honestly, a bit of a, an untraditional path, uh, I guess, so to say, to get to where I am in the sports industry now where I think most of my colleagues that were coming in that, that I work with even here at the Sharks sort of went to school with the intention of working in the sports industry, knew they wanted to get into ticket sales, marketing, whatever it is. Um, I, I'm the exact opposite. So I'm originally from Dallas, Texas, uh, and I went to the University of Oklahoma for college. So I'm, I'm a proud Sooner. Um, but when I went to Oklahoma and, and when I was getting ready to, to go there, I, I had no interest or desire or even thought that working in the sports industry was something realistic for me. And so um, before I ended up joining Oklahoma, I had an opportunity, as you mentioned, um, since I'm from Frisco, Texas, to join the Texas Legends. And, and really that was just seen as, you know, uh, my first job ever. It was, you know, to me better than waiting tables or working retail or something like that. And so, you know, I, I grew up playing basketball throughout high school and, and the opportunity to do anything uh, from a professional standpoint, you know, to work for a sports team was something that was of real interest to me. And so I did that opportunity, had a lot of fun, a good time, good experience, but was nothing that I foresaw as, as a path forward for me long term by any means whatsoever. And so um, when I eventually got to Oklahoma, um, I went as a supply chain management major. So, again, something completely different from what I'm, I'm currently doing here in sports. Um, and when I did that, you know, I, I was at Oklahoma for about two, two and a half years, and it, it really just didn't feel like a fit for me long term. And so I did decide, which I don't recommend for folks still in college, to change my major during my junior year of college. So pretty late in the game uh, to something that I just thought better aligned with with my skills um, and abilities as a student at the time. So I ended up switching to public relations and, and communications as a minor. 
and during that transition, um, I ended up finding yet another opportunity that again, sort of to me beat waiting tables uh, respectfully or a retail or something like that, just to get another experience on the books. And, and that's where I found the Oklahoma City Dodgers. So in that role, I was tasked with, you know, really helping with engaging our fans and helping out with fan experiences. I was dancing on the dugout, singing, take me out to the ball game. Like I, I was doing everything in, in between. Um, but again, it, it was just seen as another another job, right? Like I'd already done one thing in sports. And so I thought, oh, maybe, maybe I'll do another one. I sort of had a, a bit of a trend starting on my resume. And so um, from there, um, you know, during the summer heading into uh, the back half of, of my junior year, there was an opportunity to join the sports management club as coincidentally the PR major. And so I thought, well, this will be great. But it was it was strictly to, to hone in on my skills and abilities in PR because that was my focus. So I joined that club, of course, the first meeting of the year for us, VP of ticketing for the Oklahoma City Thunder, a new shiny new toy in town uh, in Oklahoma City. I thought, well, this is this is pretty cool. Um, I didn't know anything about ticket sales or suites or premium. I, I knew nothing about that industry. And so um, once I had that meeting and, and went up and introduced myself, he, he's still the VP there, Scott Loft, um, phenomenal um, person, um, sort of opened my eyes to what this industry had to offer. And, and from there, everything sort of took off, right? And, you know, I, I, I blinked and, and now I've been with a handful of, of professional sports teams over the past few years. And it, it's been an incredible ride so far. And you know, now, now I'm entering season three here with the Sharks and, and looking forward to an exciting season. Yeah, I, I know it's just the beginning of Europe, but there's so many things I already want to kind of get into. And then I'll get on, we can kind of dive into each of these positions. But the first thing I'll, I, I want to ask, because you just touched on this, and, you know, considering a lot of the people listening are people um, in school or recently graduated or kind of maybe just finishing up their, their college or university degrees, you mentioned um, you don't recommend switching in junior, and I believe that's third-year university. Correct, Am I maybe yeah. sharing why that is? Yeah, it, it just put me behind the eight ball, candidly. And, um, you know, a lot of my friends know you're getting into your, your focused courses for, like, your major specifically. Um, mm -hmm. And so for me, I, I had to start from scratch three years into college. And so that was that was really, really challenging. And so I had to start doing summer school. And I, I lived in Norman now full time because I, I had to just, you know, get as many hours in as I could for classes so I could just remotely get caught up to my, my peers that were also at the same grade level as me. And so I, I didn't get to go home back to Texas for, for the rest of really my life until I went back to the Mavericks because I, I had to take 18, 20 hours of school, whatever it is. And then I was taking 12 hours of classes um, during the summer. And so I, I was taking school year round, which wasn't fun, but I, I had to do it just to, you know, to get back on track. And so um, I, I don't regret the decision. It, it's the best thing I ever did for myself because I was I was headed down a path that just, just was not going to work out for me personally. And so, um, you know, I, I, I recommend trying to identify when you need to change courses as quickly as possible. And, and personally, I, I think I put that off a bit too far. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you, you have to do what's what's best for you at the end of the day, no matter what time uh, it is. But for me, I, I do wish it came maybe a year or two earlier, but it is what yeah. it is. Yeah, no, and that makes sense. I switched, I believe, from accounting to marketing at the end of my second year, maybe officially was third. But in a, in a Bachelor of Commerce, at least in Canada, the first two years are all introductory. Everyone's kind of doing the same courses. And like you said, that's when you kind of get into your course specific. So transition was smooth i didn't i wasn't really delayed or anything so i, right. I understand that perspective but right. were you also maybe mentioning that because 
I know when I was growing up, my, my dad also had a BCom. And the one thing he always said was, you know, get your degree and get experience. That's the only thing he kept pushing. He was like, right. you know, the degree is good and opens doors and, you know, you, you learn some things. But he's like, what really matters is experience. And was that one of the things that he meant where, hey, maybe it's not always, how do you say this, useful? I don't know if useful is the best word. Prolonging right. your university career. Or maybe, hey, get a degree because once you kind of, you know, get into the world of work, it's really about, hey, what can you do there? Because it's not always going to be, hey, what was your marketing calculus or right. introduction management, right? Right. So, well, one, I 1,000% I agree. Um, my, my parents both sort of drilled that into my head at a very young age. And, and that's sort of where I got a lot of the drive from was, was certainly from both of them. And um, you're spot on, right? It, at some point, it just came to, you just need to graduate, right? Like you need to get that piece of paper, you need to walk across the stage. But at the same time, to your point, you need to start getting some professional experience on your resume. And so again, although me singing Take Me Out to the Ball Game at the Oklahoma City Dodgers beautiful park in, in downtown Oklahoma City, you know, wasn't something that was tailor-made to my degree that I had just shifted to in PR. It was some professional experience. It was something else yeah. that I was doing. And so now I have a PR degree. I occasionally use it. I write a lot of copy these days in, in my current role, but like my, you know, that degree has nothing to do with where I landed today. And so the professional experiences that I got at the Legends and the Dodgers and the Thunder, even as a part-time employee, that shaped my career far more than me taking PR courses did in college. And so, yeah, you're, you're right. At some point, you, you've got to just, you got to take the plunge. You, you got to graduate. You got to choose a path forward. But understand that really the biggest impact is going to be those experiences, internships, people that you meet, the networking that takes place on, on your journey um, you know, to the yeah. finish line. Yeah, I couldn't agree more where, um, you know, I, I'm thankful and glad I have the degree that I do. But I remember when I first got my, you know, real experience, right? I went to go work for a hockey startup and then I went to work for a soccer team. And they're like, Chris, go ahead, do, do your marketing thing, you know, make us a strategy, do a campaign. I was like, okay, um, you know, what, what, what should I do, guys? And they're like, you tell me, you're the one with the marketing degree. And I was like, huh, interesting, because in school they taught you so much theory and it was really kind of learning on the job, like we were saying, right, where if I prolonged that degree or went to go get a master's in marketing, I still would have never figured out afterwards how to actually build marketing strategy or actually, you know, come up with these creative problem-solving tactics, right? So. Right. Um, I 100% agree with you there. And the now kind of going back to the beginning round, we'll kind of go through the flow of it. Um, it was interesting how you mentioned your first job with Texas Legends. You know, you just kind of viewed it as a, as a first job because similar to me, my first job was at a, the football stadium here in Ottawa and I was working in parking, right? I was like, oh, you know what? I enjoy sports. It'd be cool to work at the stadium. And I never really thought twice about it. And right. then, you know, since I was in accounting, I was like, you know what? I got to get accounting experience, real experience. And then that's when I realized, hey, you know what? That's the work environment. And that's what I love so much. And that's kind of what pulled me back into, into the world of sports where I never really thought it would you know, propelled it into a career. But yeah, it, it, it makes sense. So yeah, no, you're, you're, you're spot on. I mean, the, the Legends experience was great. I didn't even get paid. They, they actually paid yeah. us in food, which was great because I was like a college student. So that was that was all I needed when I was 18 years old. And so I, I worked game days. I helped out with games and drills and activities and, and the texas legends have like the best fan experience i've ever seen for any team um and so they do a really good job so it was awesome to be a part of but yeah i that that internship ended and i thought well okay time to go back to school now like now now i'm gonna go focus on supply chain management like it, it was just it was cool to have on my resume but not anything that i thought would come to fruition mm -hmm. sort of the same thing with the dodgers but to your point 
that's when the light bulb started to flicker a little bit yeah. in my head because you no, know, while I was running around doing these games and activities and, and again, another phenomenal organization, I started to look around and think, oh, this would be cool full time. Maybe not the role I'm in today. I didn't think that was necessarily for me, but you know, I started to, to look around me and I would see folks walking around in suits and, you know, doing, you know, just doing things that I knew were, were was not what I was doing with like these games and stuff. And I thought, what, what's going on over here? Like they were clearly folks in marketing and in sales and stuff like that. And I thought, I don't know what they're necessarily doing over there, but they're at a game just like me. And, and this looks like a pretty cool place to, to start a career as well. And so I started to do some digging. And when I got to the funder, the whole, like my, my whole world changed when I got there because it was an entry level sales job, um, part-time, I worked game days only. But I started to learn about inside sales and account executives and the whole sales process and selling suites and experiences. And I thought, this, this is it. Like I found it. Like I, I'd never been happier in my life that I had. I, I felt like I discovered gold. It was just like, I can't believe that this is a path and I am actually doing things right now to put me on a trajectory to accomplish this. I, everything else was irrelevant at that point. Like I, I was still in school. I felt so bad for my classmates because like all my PR classes and projects I, I were just like second fiddle because all I cared about was sports ticket sales. That was it. And so everything I had done from that point on was, was all was all towards, you know, making it in this, in this industry and in, in sports ticketing. Uh, that's an interesting point that you mentioned there because in, I don't know, I think we're on episode 84 now. And, you know, the thing I kind of see, in, you know, chatting with all these people within the industry it almost seems as though the people that become successful or actually make a career out of the sports industry, they aren't the people that kind of, what would be the best word, I don't know, fanboy about, you know, working for a sports team, right? Where maybe people are like, hey, I'm the biggest, let's use Onward, for example, I'm the biggest Senator fan, I love the Sens, I want to go work for the Senators, right, because I'm the biggest fan. Or more so the theme kind of seems to be, hey, people who, you know, enjoy sports, they just happen to be like, oh, this would be a cool first job or, you know, something like that. And then like you, it just kind of happens organically, right? Where like even for myself, I wanted to go work in accounting and, you know, I went to go work for the government X, Y, Z. And then I was like, oh, you know what? I think I could of course. And then I got connected with, uh, you know, a startup. One thing led to another and, you know, it just kind of happens. And you kind of see it from a different perspective where you see it more as a, like a business, right? You're, you're treating your position as, hey, we, need, we have goals to accomplish rather than, oh, wow, like I'm working for the Yankees or the Red Sox, right? Where you actually do it as a real career rather than, Oh, this is a dream. Like every day is just cool for me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and honestly, as, as a hiring manager, that's normally a red flag for me. Honestly, right? If, if I'm in the interview process and and someone just can't stop talking about, oh, I love the Warriors. I grew up watching the Warriors. Like I love the Niners. I love the Sharks. And like that's all that we're talking about. Yeah, that that's great. Yeah. But you don't you don't have to work for your favorite team necessarily. And mm -hmm. so um, we want you in it for the right reasons. It, it's great that you're a fan. And and look when. When, when the marriage comes together and you so happen to have the same passion for the business and it's coincidentally your favorite team, congratulations. Like that's fantastic and that's okay too, but that can't be the reason why you're going to work for these teams. And so I think when I first got into the industry, you know, and I was certainly guilty of this, people would always ask me, you know, I, my, my biggest fandom is with the Lakers. Um, I have no problem saying that. And so my friends, you always used to ask like, where do you want to work? What's the goal? Like, is the goal always the Lakers? And when I was in inside sales, I was 21 years old, of course, I said, yes, like, that's all I want to do. I want to work for the Lakers, I want to work for the Lakers. But at some point, you've got to take a step back and realize that the, the logos and, and the clout that comes along with working with some of these brands, like, hey, it's fantastic. 
but it cannot be the driving force behind you working somewhere. It needs to be about the people. It needs to be about the opportunity, the leadership. Are they going to put you in the best position to succeed? And is this role the best position for you? I could go work for the Lakers tomorrow, but if that role doesn't align with something that's going to push me and, and set me up for success and the leadership team isn't the same, that that working for the Lakers isn't going to be that cool for, for very long, right? And so um, that cannot be sort of the North Star for, for your decision-making in your career. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, funny enough, I think the podcast that came out, you know, one just before this, but to three amazing guests, uh, Therese, and she kind of mentioned that where, you know, she got her NBA, she was a, a gold medalist beforehand, and when she wanted to go get her NBA, she always kind of decided on where to work first, even though she wanted to be a sports host, hey, who's going to develop me the best in being combining the best skills? And that's what she was recommending to those listening, where, you know, initially, let's say the Lakers would be the dream, or, you know, maybe Red Sox, Cowboys, whoever the people ends up, but maybe you got to go for the actual person you're going to be working underneath, right? When, who can you learn from actually provide value to your career, where then, once you move on from that position, then you can kind of, you know, start blossoming. So, that, that does make sense. And another thing you touched on, and I think this kind of works, you're saying as maybe sometimes the hiring manager, and, you know, you're, you're interviewing candidates. What are some things that you can kind of maybe share for those listening? Because a lot of people are, you know, entering the last year of university listening, or, you know, they just graduated, or, you know, they're in their first couple of years and they have to take the next step in their career. What is something that you would recommend in regards to interviews, right? Like, hey, people that do this, please stand out, or, hey, these are the people who see the most, you know, value. And, yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think I think that the misconception is that we're always looking for a finished product when we're going through the interview process, and, and that's not necessarily the case. Um, I, I'm not the best manager in the world, not even close, and I certainly you know don't know everything there is to know about sports ticketing and premium and all that stuff, like not even close. But for us, we're looking for more intangibles than it is necessarily the hard skills for sales, for example, when we're going through the interview process. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, I'm looking for someone that's that's going to give me some signals that they're a good teammate, that they're open to coaching, they're open to feedback. Like that stuff to me is far more impactful in the short amount of time that we have for a brief conversation in an interview than, than something else that, that might be said. And so um, normally, for example, like I'll go and do a role play with um, candidates who are, who are coming in for sales jobs, for example. Um, and so when they go through that, one of the things that I'll try to do is I'll try to get them to give themselves coaching. Like, what could they improve on and do better? I've seen candidates that will say, essentially, nope, that was perfect. That was good. I wouldn't change anything. And then I've had other candidates that will say, oh, I, I could have worked on this and, and even take it a step further and say, what do you think I could have done better, Jonathan? To me, that is so impactful because that shows me you're open to coaching, you're open to feedback. And you also know that you're not a finished product and you still have room to improve. We're on the flip side for those that just say, nope, that was great and, and sort of shrug it off. Like I can do a role play today. I've been in the industry for 10 years. It's not going to be perfect. And, and there's going to be things that I need to do better. And so to me, I, I just look for small things like that to sort of tell me how you how you might respond to feedback and coaching. And, um, you know, do you have humility when you're going into a role like this? And so that that's sort of what I'm looking for. So. Be open to that stuff, understand that no one's perfect and, and be able to recognize and know what you don't know, because that's also important to succeed in any role as well. So. Yeah, that, that's, that's an interesting thing, right? You know, it's to all these different people. There's always the, the, almost 
let's say like the small things you wouldn't necessarily think of that kind of go to the other episode, right? And that's kind of one of the things I've noticed even more recently is reverse the you know, actual pirate, right? Because people are, you know, finishing their degrees or you know, they're looking for jobs now with, you know, seasons starting. And um, that's something that's been sticking out in a couple episodes now with people saying it's intangibles, right? Where, you know, sometimes people go to an interview and they're like, okay, um, I've worked in this position, I've done this, 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 we've done this bunch of numbers. But in reality, something that, you know, like you've said and others have said now too is they're almost kind of reading in between the lines, right? We're going to take this person be coached. Or, hey, can, you know, can they work well on a team? Or, hey, are they, they self-aware? Or, hey, you know, sometimes they do need help, right? So that's pretty interesting because I think as a, as a student, when you were a student and you're, you know, you're thinking about your first position, you get so wrapped up of, hey, I'm competing with, I don't know, in sports, 100 other candidates. How do you think out? I have to have the best number, the best results, the best experience, the, the best, you know, resume. And it's, you know, sometimes just being true to yourself and, you know, have an understanding of what that is. So that, that's true. That's very valuable for listening. Yep, for myself, that's kind of, you know, back to that. Um, and I'm kind of going back to your career and kind of going through the, the flows of that. So as you mentioned, the last thing we talked about was universe work with the, with the Thunder, right? So you've had an amazing opportunity to work with all these, you know, different teams um, and even different sports. What are some things that you kind of noticed um, that is different between the different teams and even sports, right? Do you maybe sell differently? Do you notice that maybe all these different leagues and clubs have similar processes? Or, or what's something that kind of sticks out? Yeah, I, I think that the transition between team to team and, and even league to league, I, I think is a lot easier than, than most people would realize. Um, you know, I, and, and I can only really speak to sales for the most part, but, you know, most processes are essentially the same. And, and so, you know, by the time I sort of got my feet under me at the Thunder, you know, making the transition to go to the Dallas Mavericks was, was, was pretty seamless to me. Like the only difference in my job was I had to learn a new market, which I was already familiar with because I'm, I'm from the Dallas Fort Worth area. Um, I had to learn the team. Uh, you know, they're, they're going to have different pricing and it's a different arena, different seating, different experiences that I have to leverage for sales opportunities. But my sales process was the exact same, you know, honestly. And so, you know, really the, the biggest difference for me was going league to league is you know, likely the assets that you have to sell as just a ticket sales representative. And so I went from getting to leverage, you know, a basketball court where I could sell, you know, youth sports teams, you know, time to be able to, um, you know, play basketball on the court, either pre or post game after a Mavs game. To now when I made the transition to the 49ers, you know, there's a lot of red tape, you know, with touching the field. And so I don't have that in my back pocket to sell, you know, field access and things like that, because that just wasn't aligned with, with something that the organization wanted to do, which, which is completely fine. And so we had to find new ways to, you know, to leverage opportunities for sales. And so instead of selling, you know, a, a pregame uh, basketball game experience on the Mavericks court, you know, we started leveraging field passes so we could sell those to groups to try to drive sales. Um, so we could give access to folks to watch warmups on the field pregame. That's not something I had in the NBA, right? Now I'm in hockey, which is completely different from, from both of those. Um, where I don't have a court or a field, now I have ice. And so now, you know, we're targeting youth hockey teams for the most part, where we can sell ice time, we can sell post-game slap shots on the ice and things like that. So um, again, the, the experiences are going to change in those assets a little bit, From but from a sales standpoint, the story is the same. We're selling an experience. We're not selling wins. We're not selling losses. We're not selling the ups and downs and, and all that stuff. If you get caught up in that, you're going to be in a, a heap of trouble really quickly. 
because not every team wins a championship, obviously every year. And so if, if that's what you're reliant on to, to have sales success, you're, you're unlikely to last very long, right? And so um, when I was in Dallas, we had a point, I think we were last in the league. When I was at the Niners, we were the worst team in the league. Um, that can't be a factor in, in your sales success. It, it has to be the experience of coming out to Levi Stadium, coming out to SAP Center and, and what that experience can bring you know, for, for you and your group. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense where I believe when I was in school and I was kind of looking at what positions I can get into, one of the advice that was given on that note of race that you know, working for a team that was in last place was that's where you kind of learn the most and even, you know, develop the best because, you know, if your team's in person, people are just going and going through the wins, they're not really learning for actually providing great experience so you have these amazing assets. People are just going to say, hey, we're winning, we want to go there. But in reality, when you actually develop like your sales skills or your you know, marketing campaigns are actually working is when, you know, the teams that last and it's actually the value that you're providing there. So that's some advice that I got that I really enjoy. Yeah, um, it's, 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 oh, go ahead. No, no, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, no, it's, it's spot on, right? Like it's, uh, I'm, I'm not going to say anything in sports ticketing is easy because nothing is, but yeah, if, if you're selling a Super Bowl contending team or a team that just won the cup or, you know, if you're a Milwaukee Bucks employee right now that just won the championship, like, yeah, is your day going to be a little bit smoother than than someone else? Um, pr probably, right? You, you get to a point to where the phone's sort of ringing off the hook. The craziest day I've ever had in sports was the day that we traded for Jimmy Garoppolo uh, when I was at the 49ers. Um, you know, we, we weren't in a great spot again. We were the last team in the league. We, we were just terrible. I think we were 0-8 or something crazy. Um, and and we, we landed really the top quarterback that we we realistically could get at the time midseason and we were in the office uh it was probably know, six o'clock at night when the trade went down and so normally we go home you know around six or seven and it, it was chaos in the office I, I mean the phone literally would not stop ringing it and it went on the rest of the season and it was like you know if folks didn't answer the phone you really didn't even have time to call them back I mean it, it was just like you were just picking up the phone, transacting, transacting, sale, sale, sale. I, I mean, I've never seen anything like it, and I likely never will again. And um, so, yeah, that that was easy, right? Like that—that that was just insane what we had witnessed. And you know, my friends at other sports teams at the time, you know, did did not have it like that, right? So that's the beauty of sports um, is you know you can have one thing happen, and and you know it, it's a career changing you know move sometimes for us on the business side. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I'm a Patriots fan, so I do remember that too. <laughs> <laughs> that that experience also kind of reminds me of um, we had a guest from the Bundesliga, right? And I believe it was the director of corporate partnerships or something like that. And you know, maybe you're the right uh, relegation. So kind of similar of experience where um, if they didn't win a certain game, you know, they were going to go down to the second league, and you know, he was telling me about the experience, you know, a typical day, you know, let's say nine to six, whatever, you're, you're kind of going about the ebbs and flows of your day. This particular day, you know, there's so much on the line. And similar to maybe the Jimmy G uh, trade where it had such a big impact where they finally won. And then, you know, it was like a big celebration if they lost. It would have been like the end of the world, you know. So it's pretty interesting, the, the crazy experiences that take place in sports. Yeah. Um, and, and some of the questions I, I kind of have here, in regards to some of the things you were saying was in regards to maybe the different assets, right? You're talking about how 
um, in basketball. You know, you could maybe provide a, a pregame pass that are playing on the court, or maybe you know, on-field passes, or you know, maybe youth hockey. I, I know in Canada we do intermission games sometimes for the youth hockey. Um, with your experience across all these different teams and leagues, was there maybe an asset that kind of sticks out to you? Really, you know what? I think that's the best asset in pro sports that I've seen so far, where it actually provides the you know the fan with the best experience, whether it's actually just you know I don't know. Maybe you you tell me. Yeah, I, I think what I mentioned honestly, um, we called it court of dreams uh, in the NBA, where you would have the opportunity to play a game either pre or post game was was by far the coolest experience that I, I would ever get to be a part of. Um, I mean, just just think like again, I, I grew up playing basketball, huge NBA fan, and you know we would sell these experiences to local schools who have the opportunity to take one of their in-season games like it wasn't just like a free-for-all like you know we would take and move one of their high school games during the summer before the school year started we'd work with athletic directors and we would organize one of their games to be played at american airlines center at chesapeake energy arena in oklahoma like that was that that was insanely cool to be a part of and you know i, I was jealous and and to get to do that in texas i mean we used to work with my school district that actually uh, went elementary through high school with and you know to see them come out and play a game there was like man why, why didn't this happen when I went to school um, yeah, so yeah, that yeah. that was always a really really special experience just to see folks sitting on the Mavericks bench um, doing through warm-ups playing a game I mean we've got the scoreboard going I mean it, it's a game we operate it just like an NBA game um, sure. their parents are in the stands we open it up there's several hundred people there like that that's just that's once in a lifetime uh, type stuff that we would get to do and and, and now I would say with hockey, um, same same rules apply. It's still once in a lifetime here at, at the Shark Tank. Um, the high five line is always a really cool one to get to do. I mean, to be able to take kids or, or folks and, and and see them get to high five their idol, their favorite player is, you know, you, you kind of can't put a price on that sometimes, right? So those are the experiences that, that keep us going and, and what makes this job so cool and so special. And it, it makes every night different and refreshing and, and you get to experience that you know 44 times out of the year hopefully more and um, that, that's the beauty of this industry so yeah no and it's funny enough because when, when I played youth hockey growing up the times we practice at the junior hockey arena in a uh, across the river here you know I, I still even remember just flipping the puck across the boards you know into the penalty box and you know you're in the, in the dressing room where you know you know, Claude Giroux and all these different legends have played. And something that I never forget, and unfortunately I never got the chance to, you know, skate on, you know, the Sensei's because I think that would be a cool experience. But like you said, for, you know, kids and people growing up, that's an experience you, you never forget, right? So I, I definitely see the value of that. Um, and this question is kind of similar, but maybe a little different in regards to um, talking about selling an experience, right? So obviously I'm more I'm Canadian. I'm very much in tune with hockey, right? That's what I'm always looking at, and especially with you know the new expansion franchises and the Golden Knights, the you know the Kraken now, really kind of pushing these you know experiences and, and entertainment that's provided. Um, when it's in hockey or even other sports that you've said or seen and worked in, do you find there's maybe one sport um, that has the best in-game experience? Right, so not necessarily what your like assets can add on top of tickets, but you know people are going to a game and you know best bang for the buck, like hey, this is a show yeah i'd be remiss to not say the sharks do an incredible job of what they do and i think i think what we do better than any team i've ever seen is sort of our pre-game um festivities um our our production team is 
to, to me, the best in the industry. And it's really not close. We do a, a pregame light show that is normally historically saved for the playoffs for us. Um, but it, it's sort of taken on a, a life of its own. And so we had it for opening night last Saturday. And uh, we invested in some new technology in the stands. So we have like permanent fixed lights at every chair in the building. And so we can do this, you know, essentially year round. But it, it's become like a thing like you have to come to sap center pregame to watch the light show certainly during the playoffs but for opening night like we were trying our best to get folks in the building so they could see it i i think it's available online um on, it's actually on our twitter account folks can see what it looked like but that was incredible but i also think minor league sports doesn't get enough credit for what they do for fan experiences as well because you know the, the draw to come out to those games has to be more so around the experience as opposed to the wins and the losses and the, and the players and the team because you know it, it's it's minor league sports right like you're not coming out for the star pyre to come see um you know superstar players that are playing at the pro level like it has to be about am i going to have the most fun um am i going to get the most value out of coming out to this game and so again uh, the teams that i've worked for co coincidentally i've just had luck and, and worked for some of the best teams in the leagues but Texas Legends, phenomenal job. Like one of the best teams in the G League, not even close, perhaps the best at just sort of creating the best family atmosphere, fun. I mean, I've never been to a sports event where like kids are just like running around free without their parents. That's the environment that the Texas Legends have created because there's games, there's, there's just all sorts of stuff to do and they've created a safe place for, for folks to be able to do it. And so they've had the best family-centric environment I, I've ever seen. Um, Santa Cruz Warriors, we would do a phenomenal job as well, right? Like we would have really engaging halftime performances, in-game activations, giveaway items at the door and stuff like that, that really honed in on the experience as opposed to wins and losses. Didn't hurt that I was a part of the Warriors organization. And so every once in a while, yeah. Steph, Curry, Steph Curry would pop his head into a game at least once a year. And, and that would certainly drive some interest our way. But the experience had to be top notch because that had to be the reason that folks were coming to the game. Um, because they, they just, you know, it wasn't to, to see their favorite player at, at Golden State. They had to go to San Francisco for that. We, we had to create the best experience possible in, in Santa Cruz. Yeah, no, of course, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, it's, it's nice that this podcast is kind of going to flow with, with the questions that I have ready in mind now. Um, and the other thing I kind of want to build off of that is, you know, you're talking about opening night and you like to be identified. You know, it sounds like I'm going to check it out on Twitter right after we chat. But, you know, I know in this case it's a little different, but at least in Canada, you know, as early or as late as uh, two days ago, Vancouver Canucks, you know, who hope to have these last in the NHL. And obviously some teams in the NHL here in Canada haven't been able to, you know, they're, they're full capacity, but they haven't been able to um, sell out right? because people aren't, you know, comfortable maybe yet going back. What are some things, you know, you mentioned the light show, what are some things that, you know, you're, you're noticing to, Maybe get fans more comfortable coming out. Obviously, you know, you need to be vaccinated and things like that to get into the stadium now. But are there any kind of, I don't know, campaigns or strategies that you guys are kind of putting forth where maybe you're opening extra doors or, you know, um, one of the things we chatted about yesterday on you know, another podcast that I do is, you know, maybe partnering with like Uber Eats and, you know, having, you know, you order concession on your phone and they go straight to, to, to your chair because. One of the things I was reading on online was people were not comfortable with how much people were shoulder to shoulder at the concessions, right? So I was curious what kind of things you're noticing in regards to making people comfortable going back to games. 
Right. My, my boss is probably going to kill me because I can't remember the exact slogan for our campaign that we started during the summer. But um, uh, it was it was essentially framed around what you just referenced. And, and we had a couple of buzzwords that were uh, essentially your safe return back to SAP Center. And so that was our messaging all summer long as we reopened the, build, uh, the building. We were arguably in one of the toughest spots in all of sports yeah. um, over the past year because, you know, we, we've had pretty strict uh, restrictions out here in, in Northern California. And so if, if, if for those that were paying attention, when we started the 2020-21 season, um, we actually could not play in Santa Clara. So we had to play in Arizona to start our season. So we were not even playing in the Bay Area, which was crazy. And, and oddly enough, the Warriors were permitted to play at home because they were in a different county up in San Francisco. And so it, it was just a, a really odd situation because like our team is, is in the desert in Arizona and Golden State's playing, you know, 40 minutes up the road and, and that was okay. And so it, it was just a, a challenging process for us. And eventually about a month in, the team was permitted to come back to the Bay Area, which is great. We weren't allowed to have fans in the building. And then we finally started to open it back up and, and sort of in waves, we progressively allowed more fans back into SAP Center, which was phenomenal. But all summer long, like our season ticket campaign, group sales campaign was all around, you know, your safe and healthy return to SAP Center. Um, and, and we've we've done a phenomenal job with reopening the building. We had to go through a phase of, you know, doing rapid testing outside SAP Center in, in April and May as we closed out last season to allow entry into the building. And now that we've 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 hit October 21st, you know, we're a vaccination mandated building. And so we, we've partnered with Clear. Um, and their fast pass technology. So they're able to, uh, you know, provide us with the best and, and swiftest entry into the building for all of our fans. And so that's one thing that we've done and, and we've maintained our mask mandate in the building as well. And unless you're in a confined space like I am right now or eating and drinking. And so everything that we're doing is, is to not only welcome fans back into the building so they can experience live sharks hockey, but, you know, to make sure that we're giving them the safest experience to be able to do so. And um, a kudos to, 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 to not me, to our guest experience team and, and, and our building operations team for putting together, I, I think, you know, the best experience possible for our fans right now. Yeah, no, and, and that makes sense. I'm sure one of the things as well, where obviously the state's a little different, maybe than the last season you guys were starting to have people in the, in the stands, and maybe as well, it's just time people getting more comfortable with right? so, you know, seeing people that they don't know anymore and seeing strangers in public. So it makes a lot of sense. And um, one of the final questions, like to get before we wrap up the podcast is, you know, we've talked about your different positions that you have. So maybe you mind sharing, you know, specifically your position now. I mean, sharing like the day to day and what it's like. So maybe people have a better understanding of, you know, what the life of a you know, director of premium hospitality is like that in general. Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, my, when I first came to the Sharks, I was overseeing group ticket sales um, and, and, and that functional unit. So primary task there was was really you know, creating fan experiences, uh, but really moving bulk tickets in the arena. So, you know, we would partner with local colleges like San Jose State, Stanford, Cal, um, you know, schools like that, nonprofits, churches, organizations like that, that can move hundreds, if not thousands of tickets for us on, on a game by game basis. And so that that was my main priority, um, you know, with the team. And I handled that for the Sharks, the Barracuda, our, our AHL team, and then any SAP Center arena event that allowed group tickets. So, we actually have Disney on Ice that's here now, and, and they'll be here the rest of the weekend. Um, so we'll handle selling group tickets for, for events like that to Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, and, and the likes. Um, during the pandemic, my role evolved a, a bit to oversee sweet lease sales and service. And so 
uh, really a completely different department where our main priority is um, selling and servicing multi-year suite leases here in the building um, that have access to all, call it 120 uh, or so arena events here at the building. So our main priority is, is really working with high net worth individuals or, or, or primarily businesses to um, to, to find solutions for their for their companies. Um, primarily, we're used for client entertainment, prospects, and, and the like to, to utilize our suites for that. And so um, that department sells, renews services, and, and goes out and, and has a, a, prong, a, a, a strong outbound sales effort for suites. So um, my day right now is a little all over the place, to be honest. I mean, I have mornings where I'm on a call talking to a nonprofit or I'm, I'm on talking to, you know, the Boy Scouts or something like that. And and maybe an hour later, I'm on talking to, you know, the the head of marketing for a construction company here locally in the Bay Area to talk about their multi, you know, their multi-year suite lease. So, um, sort of juggling a lot of hats right now. But it's it's you know, our department essentially at its core is responsible for any hospitality space in the building, and and so it, it all funnels you know up up through one department now. So that's a weird answer, but um, my my day is, my day is strange right now to be honest. Uh, that's good stuff. It does, you know, tries different and you know what it's like. And, you know, that's kind of team sports here, where it's never always going to be the, you know, the same thing every day. So that's pretty interesting. Yep. Um, and the final two questions I like to ask you as well for the rest of the podcast. The first one, we'll kind of go into the future. 103 year old Jonathan on your rocking chair, and you're thinking about uh, your career, right? Looking back on it, what is something so far? Because you've had so many different experiences with all these clubs and, and leagues what is one experience so far that you've had for that's going to stick out when you're 100 you're like wow i can't believe i got to see that over yeah it's it's not even close i mean my experience working with the warriors i, I highly doubt will ever be topped in in my career and if it does then i'm having a, a heck of a career um when i when i joined the santa cruz warriors and, and I, I mentioned it briefly before we were a part we were very much a part of golden state and so um we were fortunate to have our parent club you know 60 miles away from us but but not only that we had a club that was very much invested in the development not just of the players in the g league but of the front office staff and so uh, the warriors is a, a first class organization they they do phenomenal job and, and and their success on and off the court is is not a surprise to anyone i don't think but when i joined them they were actually in the second round of the nba playoffs um and and this was when you know they're in the midst of the dynasty steph clay draymond kevin durant was there i mean the we, we had a pretty good team. Um, and so when I joined, we actually went on the run and ended up winning the championship that year. And so um, what had turned into a tradition for Warriors employees is every June, they're sort of used to uh, hopping on a plane and, and getting to fly to one of the finals games. And so although we were the G League team and, and not you know a part of Golden State, um, they would always take care of us. And, and I was always very grateful for that. And so um, here I am probably three weeks on the job and I'm on a plane heading to Cleveland for game four of the finals with us up 3-0. Um, private plane, um, whole staff is on it. We fly to Cleveland. They have a, a wonderful reception for us at a, at a hotel downtown, um, eating, drinking. Uh, we're up 3-0 in the series, as I mentioned. So we're, we're sort of prepared to win, uh, win the whole thing. And so um, they give us all tickets to the game. We go to Quicken Loans Arena that night. Um, and it, it's a it's a blowout. Although I'm a Lakers fan, it, it was hard seeing LeBron go down like that. But um, you know, we we won, and and it was it was just incredible what happened. Not just that night, but the days after. So um, we ended up having like a 
a, an impromptu party downstairs in the arena. Um, we went to a, a local bar uh, downtown and got to celebrate there as well. We flew back that night. So now we're getting back on a plane, flying back to Oakland at, I don't know, two in the morning, something like that. And, you know, we're exhausted. We've been up since like four. Um, we get back, we get the day off work the next day. And then probably that next Monday or Tuesday, we have the parade. So now we all go back to Oakland. We're walking in the parade. You know, there's celebrities there. The team is there. I, I mean, it was just... It was just an insane experience. Um, and then, yeah, you just sort of ride that wave all, all summer long of like, we, we just won a championship. And the really special thing about the Santa Cruz market is how closely tied we were to Golden State. And so we were Golden State to the folks that lived down in Santa Cruz. And so, although we didn't win a championship in Santa Cruz, it felt like it, right? Like ticket sales reflected that, um, the fandom reflected that, the demand did, the buzz in the arena did. And so, we very much were, you know, were the Warriors and um, took took great advantage of that opportunity and, and had a really good season at the G League level. So, um, yeah, yeah. I, I doubt anything will top that. Um, that was that's a once in a lifetime experience. It's not why you work in sports, but but damn, when you, when you get that opportunity, it it really sort of brings you full circle um, as to why you do what you do. So, yeah, and not a bad Lord for working in sports, right? So that's an amazing experience. I actually went to a uh, Warriors game a couple of years ago. I think it was the season before KD went. And even though it was like a old, the old Oracle, right, before, it was a little old. But that experience alone, crazy. Like, I like I went with my dad. I never went to a basketball game before in the NBA. And I was shocked. Like, I was like, wow, this is unreal. And I went to a Celtics game two years ago before the pandemic. Nothing like it. Not, not even close to how good that experience was where – I still remember they're running up with dominoes into the stands and I was like, what is this? Right. So uh, it was an unreal time. So I, yeah. I can see how that. Yeah. It's, it's been a special run here in the Bay area. Um, and Oracle, mm -hmm. we called it Roracle because it, it was just so loud. I mean, I went to, a, I went to a finals game there, their last year as well. And it, it was like the crazy uh, overtime game where LeBron had like a 50 point triple double, um, and the Warriors ended up winning by like one in overtime. I mean, I, I was like in pain. It was so loud in that arena. Um, and I was, I was actually like literally in the last row of the arena. Like I could like touch the championship banners if I stood up yeah. and, um, it was just the loudest environment I've ever been in my life. So special time that the Warriors are in. I'm, I'm glad to see them move over to Chase Center, obviously. And, and they're still, they're still doing pretty good, I'd, I'd say. So, um. Heck of an organization, and I'm I'm certainly happy to have been a part of them for a while. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the last question, right? So right before we went to the future, now let's go into the past. We're talking to an 18 year old Jonathan, you know, just starting as a freshman at uh, you know Oklahoma. What is something that you would like to provide to him in regards to advice, whether it's career or life, that you wish you knew when you were 18 that you know now? Take risks. Uh, don't don't be afraid to do something that scares you. I think it's the biggest thing. Um, I think it's really easy to stay comfortable in the industry and, and be afraid to to switch teams or move across the country or, or or take on a role that you don't feel like you're necessarily prepared for. Um, that's okay. And and I tell my staff all the time. And and I've I've seen a lot of reps come and I've seen a lot of reps go. Um, my advice to them every time they tell me they're looking at an opportunity is, does it scare you? And if they say yes, then they now have my support for something like this. If they say no, then 
you know, I, I don't know if this is necessarily worth the plunge to, to look into. And so um, moving across country is scary. I, I've done it. Um, I moved here without knowing anyone in the world in the Bay Area. It was the best decision I ever made. I didn't know anyone when I went to Oklahoma. I, I was scared to leave home, although that was my dream school. That's where I wanted to go. Like, I remember when my parents drove off and left me at my apartment, I was like, what have I done? Um, I had done the best decision of my life. So um, don't be afraid to take risks. Um, apply for apply for jobs, roles that are bigger than you think, and, and just, just take risks in, in your career, I think is the best thing I, I would advise myself and, and anyone else coming up in the industry. No, I in a great way to end the podcast where it's funny enough for me to be by Toronto Hospital in Oklahoma, even though that I do. I had the exact same frame of mind when I moved out for the first time. When we finished, you know, putting all my furniture, my parents left. And I was in my bed the first time, like, what did I do? Right? It <laughs> and it's funny enough, that's the exact story that you had. But that, that, that's a great way to end the podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time, you know. Sharing some amazing insight, have no portfolios, that's amazing. Um, unless there's anything else you'd like to share, just thank you for coming on the podcast. Yeah, no, thank you, Chris. And, and yeah, thank you for having me, and, and congrats, obviously, on, on episode 84. Um, really enjoyed the time and appreciative of, of you selecting me to join us. Um, certainly for anyone out there, like I'm, I'm open to conversations and, and helping any way that I can. So, uh, best place to reach me is, is likely on LinkedIn. Um, so, feel free to reach out, add me, and, and, and if a call makes sense, um, to, to continue a conversation. I'm, I'm always uh, happy to do it. So um, don't be a stranger. Yeah, well, that's amazing. And hopefully, you know, people are in because obviously there's some good insight available. But yeah, thank you. Great. Sounds good. Well, thank you, Chris. Mm-hmm.